Well, this should be our last week on the book of Acts, and we may spend a couple of weeks just taking a look at some of the things that happened with the disciples after the book of Acts, because this course continues on and keeps on going. But this is where Luke cuts it off. So in Acts chapter 28, last chapter, verse 1, of course, last week we saw that they had the shipwreck and how the uh, shipwreck was sent out at the most dangerous time of the year with a bunch of prisoners put on it on a ship that was not really able to, to handle the type of weather it was going to face. They switched ships to a different one, hoping to make it into the harbor or into Rome by the time that uh, winter was there. And, well, that wasn't working out so well. So eventually they got shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Paul had the vision. The angel who stood before him and said, everyone on the ship has been granted to you, but you're going to go shipwreck on an island. And that's what they did, and they had escaped the ocean, the ocean, and were coming to the island. That's where we pick it up here in Acts chapter 28. Now, when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Now, the natives here are... Um, I think in some translations they call them barbarians or something like that, but it just means they're not Greeks. That's all that they mean by that. And uh, they showed a lot of kindness here. Well, the storm is still going on. The storm hasn't stopped. This is the storm that shipwrecked them, and this is going on on the island. And so imagine yourself, you're in a nice warm house, hut, whatever it is that they've got over there, and uh, the storm is going on outside, and these folks all land on the beach, and you got uh, leave the confines of your nice, dry abode, wherever it might be, to come on out and help these folks. I'd say that's, uh, that's pretty kind. Some people may have waited and just wait and watched until the rain stopped or went away. And we know how long it's been raining for Paul and them. We don't know how long it's been raining for these folks. It may only be a day or two. Uh, but for Paul, they've been in the rain for 14 days, or actually uh, maybe a little bit more than that, but... But they escaped, they came over here, the natives showed them unusual kindness, and they kindled a fire and made us all welcome. That's got to be tough to do, to start a fire in the rain. That is, uh, it's just not a fun thing to, to venture in. One time we had to do that when I was in Boy Scouts. I was not in Boy Scouts for very long, but I was in Boy Scouts for a little while, and we had this leadership training that they all took us all on. And we got there, and it was nice weather, and that, that changed really quick. And we got uh, we we started off in weather that uh, maybe long sleeve, short sleeve, and by the time the next day had occurred, the temperature dropped, the, the rain came, and the rain never stopped. It just kept on coming the whole time we were there, and all of our firewood we had to put underneath picnic tables and stuff like that. Well, that'll hold it off for a little while, but eventually all of our firewood was wet, and uh, what wasn't wet by the rain, there was a mudslide that just started to go on down the, the side where we were at. And uh, everything was just muddy. The mud was running into the tents. And uh, by the, I think the evening of the last day we were there, the rain turned into snow. And so it snowed all the rest of the night. And then the next day, as we were getting ready to finally leave the, the place, uh, the sun came out <laughs> for our trip home. And, and they came in and they said, if you could brave the elements that happened during this week, then you could uh, pretty much do anything. And... Uh, I don't know about that, but it was, it, was, it was bad. It wasn't that bad. These guys are facing stuff a whole lot worse. But I know how hard it is to keep a fire going 
when it's raining. It's not easy. So they went out there and they found wood. They brought that in. Once you get the fire going, you can put some wet wood on and it will dry out. But Paul is involved in this. He's uh, not just waiting for people to, you know, I'm the apostle. You go out there and you know, he's out there getting the wood too. And they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. You all can imagine how nice a warm fire is when you are wet and cold. Because not only were they wet from the storm, but they all swam there. And they had no change of the clothes. Everything went down with the ship. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now what this means because of the heat is, what happens to snakes in the wintertime? They hibernate because they're cold-blooded animals, so they find a place and they, they hibernate and let their body just kind of shut down. And so when he went out and got the, the snake, the snake was in the wood, but it um, was, was in a hibernation stage or close to a hibernation stage. And so when it got close to the heat, well, that kind of changes things in the body of the snake. And so uh, the snake came alive, and as the, he throws a bundle of sticks into the, sna- into the fire, the snake decides that, I don't want to be in the fire, and so it comes out and latches onto the first thing it can find, which is Paul. So that's what it means. The viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another. So this is a, you know, they, they latch hold, and they got hold of you, and, they're, and it, it's hanging on. I had that experience one time when we were doing that thing with the snake here years ago. About, if you ask word about it, she'll still tell you, because she was holding the box with the snake in it. And uh, we let everybody see it. Well, after, afterwards, my son had not seen it, the snake. And so I ventured to take the snake back out again and to show him. And during the course of that, the, the snake latched onto my hand. And so uh, it wouldn't let go. And I didn't want to hurt the snake because we borrowed it. Back then, there was a pet store over here. So I go walking into the pet store with the snake dangling from my hand. That one was not poisonous. <laughs> we didn't bring a poisonous snake in. It was just a regular old garter snake. But, of course, we didn't want to return them damaged. But... Uh, so that's what it was. It's just, you know, they, they kind of latch hold. And, and that's what this one did. He's just kind of latched hold with his fangs because they don't have hands. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Well, we know how fickle people can be. But Paul saw, he sees this snake hanging on his hand, and he doesn't say anything. He just flicks it off into the fire. And that's it. So the snake didn't want to go into the fire, but the snake ended up going into the fire anyway because the only thing he had to hang on to was Paul, and Paul decided, I don't want you to hang on to me. So he, gets, uh, he, he goes away. So these uh, folks are judging on appearances, and they uh, are brought to two wrong conclusions. First off, that the guy was a murderer or did some kind of hideous crime and deserved death. And since he escaped the death of the ocean from the storm, they figured that a, uh, you know, justice, as they put it, that justice would be served. And so the snake came on out and bit him. Of all the people to bite, it gets him. Now, if you're Paul, you're thinking, we got a a whole group of people, these are all criminals, and the snake finds me, of all the things. The snake finds me. The storm finds me. The shipwreck finds me. Uh, nobody seems to want to find me to let me go out of the, uh, the jail. 
So, you know, you can get kind of discouraged. It's been going on for, for a little while now. And even after they finally get to shore, and, you know, Paul had the assurance from the angel, you're all going to, no one's going to die, but you've got to go run aground. Everyone's going to get out of the sea and get off the boat and go on, onto the shore. Well, the angel said nothing about snakes. Didn't warn Paul about a snake. Didn't say a snake's going to come up and bite you, but don't worry about it, Paul. He didn't say any of that sort of stuff that we know of anyway. And so he just shakes it off and goes on. He is not deterred. He is not going to be discouraged from this. So the first conclusion was they came to that he was a murderer and that he uh, is not escaping justice. And then when he doesn't die, they come to a second conclusion that he is a god. Because they are familiar with this snake. They live on this island. They know what this snake is. Whatever the snake is, Paul or Luke does not give us the de- description outside of it being a viper. But they knew what it was because they lived there. You know, you know the snakes that are in your area. Mo- most people do. I don't, you know, do you know the snakes that are in your area? We don't have to worry about certain snakes because they don't live around here. They don't like around here. But there are certain snakes that uh, do populate this, this uh, area of Pennsylvania. Rattlesnakes, you know, they can be, be one. Uh, cotton mouse, there's uh, water moccasins and things like that. Those are the main ones you've got to be, uh, be aware of. There's a lot of poisonous snakes. You no know, cobra, not around here. They, they don't live around here. You can uh, have one in your cage and keep it in your house if you wanted to. I don't know why people want to keep them things. It's not like you're going to take the thing out and pet it every once in a while or <laughs> make it do tricks, stuff like that. But anyway, uh, you've got to know the snakes that are in your area and what they can do. Well, these folks knew the snakes that were in their area, and they expected Paul to die. They saw it bite him. They saw it hanging from him. They expected him to die, and he didn't. When they did not, they thought he was a god. This was not a garter snake. You don't think that about a garter snake. If you see a garter snake hanging off somebody's uh, hand, you don't think that. This was a snake that they expected death would come very quickly. Now, in Mark chapter 16... Very disputed uh, area of scripture. In verse, uh, Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus' commission says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. And they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, we can see that the snakes are in here, but I want you to take a look at each one of these things that he says carefully. And these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. In the word of God, how did people cast out demons? In his name. They said, in the name of Jesus, come out. Right? That's all. Every time we see that in the word of God, that's what the disciples come back to Jesus and say, even the demons are subject to us. They said something to the demon, and the demon departed. So, First off, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Both of these first two things, both of them involve speech. You need to say something. If you're going to cast out a demon, you need to say something. If you're going to speak with new tongues, you need to say something. Sometimes, though, we have carried that over to the other two. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Is there any mention of speech involved? None at all. However, most times that people take up one of these things, what is their mouth doing? They're rebuking the snake. They're rebuking the poison. 
they're rebuking the venom from the snake, right? Does the Word of God, does Jesus mention anything about saying a thing to the snake, to the poison, or any such thing? No. And the only time we have this one demonstrated is here with Paul. Does Paul say anything to the snake? Does he say anything to the poison? Does he give it a sink? Does he pray to God? No. Because the way the scripture puts it is, if this stuff happens to you, it will not hurt you. He does not say you have to do a thing about it. Now, there have been stories of missionaries who have sat down for meals in um, villages, and the villagers were trying to kill them. And they gave them poison, and the missionaries ate the food, blessed it, ate it, and went on. And the people in the village were shocked because they expected them to die. And they didn't die. Which told the people in the village, these folks are of God. There was a testimony to them. But, they, the, but the people who drank the poison, ate the poison, didn't know a thing about it. Didn't know to rebuke it. Because the Word of God just says, if these things come upon you, it will not hurt you. So if a snake pops out and all of a sudden bites you, don't feel like you've got to jump up and down and take authority over this or anything. It simply says, it won't hurt you. You don't have to utter a thing with your mouth. You can follow the example of Paul and just go about your business. So that's how it is. There are no words spoken with the episode with the, with the serpent. And that's in, in accordance with the word. We ought to be careful because sometimes our mouth will get us into trouble. We make some declarations of things and we're declaring more of unbelief than we are faith. Just believe what the Word of God says. What does the Word of God say about serpents? They won't hurt you. What does it say about drinking poison? They won't hurt you. Now, it, it doesn't mean go out there and drink poison. <laughs> nor does it mean to go out there and handle a snake. I, uh, t- Tom Pickens, he was a teacher down at Raymond when I was out there. And I loved his statement about this particular verse. He said, I am, I am willing to pick up any serpent that is fast enough to catch me. <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful. I, just, I loved what he said about that, and I've remembered it ever since. Yep, uh, there's no need to go out there and pick them up. Don't, don't cause a fight, but if they come and get you, you're all right. I have not been bit by a snake. I don't know if anybody here has been bit by a snake. I have not been bit by a snake. I have come close to snakes. I have almost stepped on a couple of snakes running in the woods and stuff like that. I uh, felt my heel come down on a snake who's all kind of coiled up sleeping. And um, I don't know what kind of snake it was. I didn't go back to see. I just kept right on running. <laughs> I've, I've run by snakes that are perched up in the air. There's this, a certain green snake that likes to kind of perch up in the air and its mouth is wide open. It just kind of sits there and I've run past that one. Um, not intentionally, because as you're going by it, you see it. And uh, you know, I've, I've, that's, that's my, my encounters with snakes. And, uh, I don't look for encounters with snakes. I don't mind snakes, but I don't necessarily like them either. So I've, I am not keeping them. Have you ever heard Rick Renner tell his snake stories? He's a good storyteller to begin with. If you ever get one of his uh, lessons and he's going over snakes, he used to keep them. He loved snakes. He, but he didn't just keep any snake. He kept nasty ones, vicious ones that if they got out of the cage, yeah, I think his roommate uh, actually left because he was afraid for his life being in the apartment with the snake, the, the, this particular snake that he had. 
And uh, one time he tells a story about how the snake got out of the cage. It was a big snake. It was, I forget what kind it was, but it was a snake that you had a battle on your hands. And he had a battle, and the room got totally tore up, but he got the snake back, got it back into the cage. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not for me. I like fish. You know, fish, if they get out, they're not going to hurt anybody. <laughs> they're, they're not going to be in good shape either, but they're not going to hurt anybody. So anyway, that's, what, uh, that's our only example of that. And, but a lot of people can test that area of Scripture, but everything that's in that area of Scripture is backed up in the Word of God. So we don't have to uh, really contest it. It's, even if that wasn't there, all those things would still be true. So they were expecting some things. They were expecting that first off he's going to fall over. And he didn't fall over. And then they were thinking that, you know what, maybe he's a god. I put this in your outline for you. Uh, minds are easily changed. Beliefs should not be. Minds are easily changed. Beliefs should not be. We've all been victim to people whose minds have changed towards us. But you want to find people that operate according to beliefs, not according to their minds. Minds are easily changed. Beliefs should not be. These folks changed their mind a couple of times, and they were one time ready for them to fall over, another time ready for them to, to, to be gods. But they gave them an opportunity, and though it certainly may not have looked like it to Paul, this little snake gave them an opportunity to uh, be a, a witness for God there with these folks and to some other folks as well. As we uh, put in your outline, what the devil meant for evil, God will turn around for good. Thank God for that. So verse 7, in that region... There was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius. Leading citizen, probably the guy who's in charge. Who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. So he brought him on in. The reason he brought him on in is he probably heard about this episode with the snake. And uh, he, he had a guy who washed up on the beach and the snake bit him and nothing happened to him. Bring him over. I want to talk to him. I want to find out what's going on. He entertained him. He, he had him come on into the house and... Um, how many other people in the party? I don't know. Uh, but certainly I'm sure that Paul and Luke and the, those guys were there. Uh, whether any of the Roman soldiers were involved with that. But some were entertained by, by him. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. dysentery. Well, he, and the, the word there in the Greek is actually a very high... He was burning up. He, it was a high fever. Uh, this, we're not talking 99, 100. We're talking uh, fry eggs on. That type of a, of a deal. And Paul went into him and prayed. And he laid his hands on him and healed him. Now, this is the only time that we've ever found Paul who went into a sick person and it says he prayed. And all the time we saw Jesus minister to sick people. What did Jesus do? Did he pray? No. James is the only one really who exhorts us to. He says, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders and let them pray. Or the, the prayers of the, of the um, belief, the prayers of faith will save, will help those that are sick. But Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. Now, we don't really have anything from this verse that says that he prayed to God for him to be healed. And there's nothing in the Scripture that ever shows us that anyone ever did that. It may just be that it, Luke is describing this thing, that Paul came on in. You know, he's, um, 
Uh, he has a relationship with God, and maybe he just prayed to God to see what to do. But he then came in and laid his hands on him and healed him. So it seems that the prayer is separate from the laying on of hands and healing him. But anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Paul went in and prayed, laid his hands on him and healed him. So when he was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Well, if this guy can be healed because Paul prayed over him, we already saw that the viper didn't have any power over him. So they start going out there and finding sick people and bringing them on over. So Publius was, was entertaining them for three days. Then they had a need and Paul rose up to the challenge. I wonder how many times we have seen sick people and we have not done what we needed to do, but God would have used that as a catalyst. That if we would have prayed for them, it's just a fever. Of course, it's a fever that could have killed them, very possibly. But it's um, something that Paul jumped on. All right, we can take care of this and laid hands on them. He was healed. Well, then they go out and they, they get other people and they bring all kinds of sick people. And so right there in this, this place, they've got a revival meeting going on. Now, if you're the devil, you've got to be discouraged. You throw him into a storm, and for 14 days, you can't sink that boat. And then when you finally get them in the water, they all get to land. Every one of them gets to land. He can't get a single one of them. Every one of them gets to land. Then he gets on land and gets a serpent. And that didn't work. And you know, if you're the devil, this is some tough times. He's got to be discouraged. Harry is trying to get rid of Paul. One of the uh, top guys in God's uh, army. Doing a lot of damage to the kingdom of, the, of Satan. And he'd like to get him. And he can't. And every opportunity that he gets, he turns into a place to, to expand the gospel. Verse 10, they also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So they uh, ministered to him. I imagine being Paul. Paul taught them. Some things that came from the Word. He didn't just minister healing to him. He probably taught him about Jesus, about the one who was behind the healing, because Paul is never going to be one to take the glory for it. He's going to give the glory to God. And so he probably taught them about the God who provides this healing for them. And they came and they honored him in many ways, it said. But when they left, of course, they arrived with nothing. When they left, they had stuff. So these folks gave them and the people in his party all the things that they would need to get them on their way. So changes their clothes. They gave them, uh, you know, toothbrush, uh, toothpaste, uh, maybe some shaving supplies, and whatever it is that they needed. They got it from these folks, and they were sent on their way. I don't know that they did it for the Romans. I don't know that they, maybe they did. I don't know that they did it for the other prisoners. I don't know that they did it for the people who were who owned the boat. But um, we know they did it for Paul and the group that was with him. If they did it for the other people, they all knew the reason they did it for us was because. All because of Paul. So, with Publius, we have attention that was brought to him. Uh, there was a attention that was brought to Paul simply because this, the viper. The viper got the attention on the Paul. Then he had an opportunity with the father who was had the fever. Then we got a revival going on. And then after the revival, it's blessing. They came over there and they blessed them. And they stayed there for three months. Now, they didn't stay there for three months because they had three months worth of ministry to do. They stayed there for three months because they had to wait until it was actually a good time to go out. There, were some other, there was another ship that was there on the island that had wintered there. I guess they had tried to make it to uh, 
to Rome as well. And they bailed out and they said, you know what, we've gotten this far. This is great. We've got a head start on everybody else. But let's just park it here and we'll, we'll wait. So they waited. And uh, when the time came that it was safe to go, then they went. So after three months, verse 11, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship. We were just in one of those. I don't know if you're Paul. Do you want to get in another Alexandrian ship? You didn't, I'm not saying that they're a bad ship, or anything, but if you had a bad experience with it, you may not want to get in one again. But, of course, he doesn't have a whole lot of, uh, lot of help with that. And uh, whose figurehead was the twin brothers who had wintered at the island. You can look up the twin uh, brothers if you want to. Uh, they're just uh, some things that some of the, the uh, people put on the boats for good luck. They were the sons of Zeus, I believe. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled around and reached Ragium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Putelli. Now, the south wind blowing is, is crucial because apparently to get through this area they're trying to get through, it doesn't happen unless the south wind blows. Where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we went toward Rome. Now, check this out, verse 14. Luke just puts this in here so, so passively. They're sailing from port to port. And when they get to this particular one, there were some brethren there. There were some fellow believers. And they said, can you stay with us for a while? And what does it say that they did? They stayed for seven days. <laughs> Isn't that odd? Well, of course, these folks owe their lives to Paul. And Paul says, hey, you know, we got an invitation. Can we stay here and minister to them for seven days? And apparently they say, okay. That's got some clout to it. You, you, Paul's got some, some pull there with them. Well, of course, you know, the soldiers, they may have been told some things about Paul when they left, but, you know, they've been interacting with Paul for a while. They got this whole trip, and they see the way Paul operates. And a rapport was built between him and the uh, centurion that he was sent there. And, and of course, that, that'll happen. You'll get to, to know people. And so Paul was granted a lot of freedom. And we're going to see a lot more freedom that's going to be granted to Paul because of this, because of the interaction that had gone on. Despite whatever report they might have heard from the higher-ups, and I'm not saying that they got a bad report, but even if they did get a bad report, they had the interaction that went on with him. And so Paul was given a, a whole lot of freedom. I heard, I heard this, uh, this story. I, I forgot who it was who said it. There's some lady at the State Department. And, uh, you know, y'all heard about this Bergdahl uh, guy who was released for five lieutenants from, uh, from the Taliban or uh, whatever group it was, whatever terrorist group they were with. They, they released five of them for this. And the lady from the State Department says, well, we know better what kind of a person this uh, Sergeant Bergdahl was more so than the people who served with him. Did you hear her say that? She actually came out and said that because they were questioning, you know, that a lot of people who served with him questioned his, that he was AWOL, that he walked off his post, that uh, he actually helped the enemy. And these are the folks that served with him. And um, I think his own platoon that they came from lost six guys trying to find him. And some of the other areas, other area groups that were there, they said our, our uh, normal day was disrupted. And I don't know how many they lost, but I know that many people were put in danger because of these things. But they said ever since he was uh, taken, 
that the strikes from the enemy were a lot more precise. And it seemed very odd that as soon as he was taken or as soon as he walked off, and of course when he walked off, he left all his stuff behind. It wasn't like he got lost. He just, he just walked off. And we, we swapped people for a guy who very likely, it seems from the people who served with him, are saying it's questionable how he left. And, but they still went out and they, they searched for him. Six guys in his own platoon were, were lost. in the uh, They died trying to find him. And, um, and this lady from the State Department said, well, we know better in the State Department what kind of a man he was and the people he served in his platoon. Does that even make sense? I forget what lady. Do you remember, do you remember who that was? I, I wanted to find out the name of that, but I just, I just was shocked at that. No, you don't. You, 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 interaction. How many people, we have people that we work with. If you heard a report about someone that you work with side by side, would you believe the report or would you believe what you knew about the person? Yeah, you'd believe what you knew about the person. But anyway, that's uh, folks in the State Department messing up again. I know, this place seems to be in quite a bit of disarray. But Paul will continue to have even more favor than he has had so far even to the point that uh, he's going to be in a whole different place from the rest of the prisoners. So, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as, well, we already covered, covered all that. Uh, no, we didn't. 15. We didn't come down. All right. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Aping, Forum, and Three Inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When he saw who? Brethren. These are brethren, these are believers that had come to, to, to uh, see Paul. More than likely, some of these believers did not come to be a believer under Paul's ministry because Paul's been in jail for a while. He was in jail for two years. And then, of course, he was out on the, the ocean for a while, shipwrecked on the island. And so he's been out of action. So what he, what he takes courage from is that the gospel continues to be preached. That people that got saved from his ministry, from the things that he taught, went on and taught others. And they went on and taught others. And, and so it's, it's continuing to spread. So he's getting encouraged. Because he has not been out to, to, to find these things. I guess some people came in and brought some reports. But now he's out there and he's seeing this. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who guarded him. So Paul was put apart from all the other prisoners and one soldier guarded him. One. I guess they don't really consider him to be a big high risk, would they? Well, now we're going to have some ministry over here at Rome. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. Now, every time he calls the Jews together, what's he got? He's got a problem, right? If you are Paul, I mean, he feels like he's got to go to the Jews first. So he's calling the Jews together. If you are Paul, what are you expecting? Probably nothing uh, real, real good out of this thing. So he calls the leaders of the Jews together. So when they come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appear to Caesar. 
not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Now, he said more to them than, than that. And you can tell that from the next verse. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came report, reported or spoken any evil of you. Paul is expecting that the folks in the Jerusalem, the Jews, either sent people ahead or sent a letter to them to say, watch out for Paul. Paul is on his way there. He has nothing but trouble. You need to take him out. You need to do whatever you can. And they're saying to Paul, Paul, we don't know what you're talking about. We have not gotten a letter. We have not heard from any person. We have not heard any report. Now, get this, uh, get this picture that's here. Paul, in every place he has gone, the Jews have gone before him. Or they've come right after him. As soon as they hear that, that he was in a city, the Jews would leave one city and go to that city and stir up trouble. Every time that they heard he was going over here, sometimes they thought he was going on this boat and they got on the boat to try and get him and it didn't work. So wherever it is he's going, they are sending people. Why would not Paul expect them to do this? But they don't. Why do you think it is that the Jews did not send anyone to Rome or sent a letter to Rome to warn them? There's got to be a good reason because this is all of a sudden we don't have anything sent. They know exactly where he is going because the Jews don't expect him to be there. If the Jews expected Paul to arrive at Rome, would they not have sent some people? Would they not have sent a letter? Apparently, the Jews are clued in to whatever it is that Festus is up to. And, they, and Festus probably assures them because he's trying to gain honor with them. That's why he wouldn't let them go. And he simply says, look, they are not going to make it. They will be at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea somewhere. And when the, the ship is reported as lost and we have no reports from them, they probably already said to the Jews, it all worked. They got lost in the storm. They got blown out. They were supposed to be in Phoenix that day and they didn't arrive. They didn't arrive the next day. They didn't arrive the next day. No one sees them. No one has heard from them. There is no port city of anywhere that is reporting that this boat has landed. And it has been months. They fully expect that he's dead. Of course, this is not the first time they expected him to be dead. But they don't have reports of him getting in anywhere. So he gets here and Paul's ready to defend himself. He's thinking they've already got a whole lot of ideas about me, by the things that I teach, by the things that I do. We're, we're really going to have our hands full. So they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. Now see, brethren came, but no one said anything about Paul. They don't expect he's coming to Rome. They don't expect that he's going to make it. So when they had appointed, verse 22, but we desired to hear, but we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So here's the thing. 
the, the sect, as they call it, or the belief of Jesus, the way it's called in some places, whom Paul is one of the primary teachers of. He said, we have heard about this sect. We have heard about this group. And we've heard all kinds of evil about it. But we would like to hear from you what you have to say about it. So they obviously have nothing against Paul. They don't know what this is about. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Now, eventually, word is going to get back to Jerusalem that Paul made it. And that Paul had a big meeting of the Jews. I'm sure they're not going to be too happy. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall for conversations that are going on there? Verse uh, 23 again. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging. They came to where he stayed. Where, where is he staying? He's in a house, but he, he's... With a soldier. To whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Now, some people could only explain Jesus from the law and the prophets for uh, 15 minutes. But Paul's able to do it from morning until evening. He's able to go from one to the other. Now, we start over here with Moses and Moses' writings here in the Pentateuch. And we go over here into these other ones. And, and he just keeps on going. All of uh, David's prophecies in the Psalms, all of uh, things written by Jeremiah, all the things written by the other prophets that were, were going on. He just went after one after another, all the messianic prophecies and how they all pointed to Jesus. From morning till evening. That's a long time. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. Well, that's pretty much just about any group you get into. That's going to be the way it is. So when they did not agree... Among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Now, Jesus quotes this exact same prophecy in Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. He quotes the very same thing when he's talking about parables. And he's talking to the disciples, why are you teaching in parables? And he gives them this explanation. Because seeing, they're not going to see. We've got to make sure that we're, we're careful. Because if, we, well, a lot of times we all like to think we're enlightened. And, well, I see stuff. Uh, I'm not blind. I, I see stuff. And yet, if you are blind, you wouldn't know. Right? If we are blind to seeing certain things, we wouldn't know it because we're blind. It's, it's probably a good example of that is if you're driving on down the road. And there's a blind spot in your car. And you can't see anything. And you look and you don't see a car and you begin to move over. And, and all of a sudden there's a car there. There's a beep. There's a noise. This is not good. Now, you wouldn't have gone if you would have seen them. The reason that you went was because you, you didn't see them. You were blind to it. Right? 
and it shocks you and it kind of stirs you up and holy cow i didn't see them at all i didn't know i i know i looked i i even checked twice i didn't see them i did how did they get there now they have cars of course they will alert you there's people there's there's stuff over there i don't have one of those kind of cars yet but I imagine that by the time we get there, you know, the cars are braking for you now. If there's stuff in front, they're talking to you. They're, they're doing all sorts of stuff. You know, I thought it was pretty good when they turned the headlights on all by themselves. I was enjoying, I was enjoying that. Turn them on, turn them off. And, and I heard there are some cars that even have windshield wipers that come on when they're needed. That's all right. I, I, I would like that. But um, my car, I still have to turn my windshield wipers off. But I'll tell you, I got real used to the lights. I drive my wife's car and I'd leave the lights on. I'm expecting the car to do it itself. I don't, I don't expect to ever have to turn my lights on again. I don't expect to ever have to turn them off. Because <laughs> my truck does it for me. And so you can get used to these kind of things. But anyway, if we're blind to a thing, we, we don't see it. We don't see it. That's why we've got to be real careful with the things that go on with pride. Because pride will blind us. Pride, people in, in pride do not know that they are in pride. They're blinded to it. They have no idea. You can't just say, hey, get out of pride. Oh, yeah, I should do that. I've been thinking about that, you know. I've kind of been feeling like that. No, they, they don't know. They don't know. People look at the scriptures and things that are plain to us, they look at it and they don't see them. It's right there. He's, I, I, don't, I don't see this. I don't understand it. I don't see how you get that out of there. Blindness, you, you can't tell. If you're colorblind, some people are colorblind. They can't see certain colors. Well, you could describe the colors. You could describe the difference, but they can't see it. So Paul uses the scripture here. He wasn't around when Jesus did it. Or if he was, he was a disbeliever in Jesus anyway. He wouldn't have. Uh, he said, yeah, right. <laughs> so he's, he's now quoting the scripture, but Jesus quoted it as, as well. So he goes to the Jews, some believed and some didn't disbelieve, and they went on their way. But they stayed there for the whole morning and evening. I think that's pretty impressive, if you're not seeing it, to stay there for the whole morning and evening. Because a lot of times when people don't see something, they're out of there in five minutes. I don't see it. It's wrong. And they move on. So Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. So he went from whatever place that they put him in at first, and he rented a house. What do you need in order to be able to rent a house? Money. You need money in order to be able to rent a house. He dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So he's got his own rented place. He's in jail. He's a prisoner. He's got his own rented house. He's paying for his own place. I guess there's still a guard out there. I don't know. We don't really have mention of the guards anymore. But he's got his own place. And anyone who wants to can come and see Paul. No one's, no one's turned away. Anyone wants to come in? Paul says, come on in. We have meetings here every day. This is my place. I'm paying for it. He's probably got a place that's set up. You know, he's got a little bedroom in the back and a meeting room he can use. Bring people on in. He'll probably have some pastors who come in from other places. You know, Ephesus might want to send over a delegation. Uh, Galatia, they might want to send over some folks. And say, you know, let's go over and see Paul. Let's have a little pastor's meeting, just us guys. And they come in on the boat and they all go in there. They have the meeting and then they, they head on out. And other people come on in. 
and then other believers come on in and say, hey, Paul's putting on a seminar on whatever it might be. Let's go, in a, let's go and listen. So they come on in. For two years, he's over here in Rome, and he's doing these things. I don't know why Caesar took so long to, uh, to take care of this case, but he's there for two whole years in a rented house. No one forbidden anyone to come to him. No one said you can't say that. No one said it. I think the guard, if he had a guard outside, that guard would probably be helpful to keep some of the Jews out. That always seemed to like to come on over and, uh, and, to, and to mess with him. But when, if he's having meetings, probably people brought in offerings. And Paul uses the offerings to pay for the, the house or the meetings are taking place at. So it's kind of like a, a home fellowship or a home, home church that's going on right there. And this goes on for two years. And then we just have that the book of Acts ends. There's uh, no real final thing that occurs here at the end. It's just he's there. He's there for two years. People come in. People go out. People get ministered to. And, uh, and that's it. So we'll try and pick up some things on this in the time to come. See what all happened to Paul. Because Paul will be let, let out. And Paul will go out on another missionary journey. And Paul will be caught up again in a legal affair. And he will eventually be put to death. But as we see in this chapter, don't look to what happens around you to determine if you are in the will of God. In the word of God, we have Jonah who was caught in the storm and the ship almost wrecked because he was out of the will of God. And then you have Paul who was caught in the storm and the ship almost wrecked until it is wrecked. And uh, when the angel came and said it's going to be wrecked, it's going to be uh, busted up, everybody else will be alive because he was in the will of God. So you can have a shipwreck in the will of God. You can have a shipwreck out of the will of God. They don't matter. They don't make any difference. Bad things happen to people in the will of God. And bad things happen to people out of the will of God. Paul, in the will of God, was beaten and put in prison. Paul, in the will of God, was stoned. Jesus, in the will of God, was persecuted. Jesus, in the will of God, was beaten, put on a cross. Just because hard things come to you does not mean you are in the will of God or that you are out of the will of God. But the devil sure likes to get our attention on it. And how many Christians do we know that say, well, every time it just seems to be so hard, I I guess I'm just missing God. No. If you go through the Word of God, you will actually find more cases of people in the will of God having trouble than people out of the will of God. And in fact, Jesus even said, because of the light that is in us, because of the way that we follow, because of the word of God that is in us, the world will hate us. That we will be persecuted. It will come. So don't ever judge those things to determine whether you are in the will of God or not. So he said, bad things happen to those in the will of God. Bad things will happen to those out of the will of God. But whenever an opportunity comes... No matter how small it seems, a guy with a fever, take those opportunities. Spread the message. You don't know which one of these opportunities is the one that will open up doors. There are many times in the Word of God where just one person being ministered to opened up floodgates. The woman who came to the well. One opportunity of ministry. An entire town was ministered to. How many times did the healing of one person promote other people coming 
and, and receiving healing. The, the disciples came up to the temple, the, beautiful, the, the, the gate that was there, and uh, healed a lame man who had been lame for a long time. And what happened? The world got turned upside down. People knew about Jesus. In fact, the authority says, you guys cannot preach in his name anymore. And they say, well, yeah, we're probably going <laughs> to, we're, we're going to go ahead and do that anyway, no matter what it is that you say. Don't overlook any opportunity. If a person has a headache, if a person has a fever, if a person has uh, uh, whatever kind of need that is there in the area that we can minister to to unsaved folks, do it. Minister to them. Lay hands on them. Command the thing to go. If you want to pray, pray for yourself. That you hear what God has to say. Get yourself ready. So when you're there, you lay hands on them. Because the victories that we achieve there, the victories that open the way for the gospel. Paul, just from a snake coming out of a bunch of branches, had an opportunity to get into a man's house. Then in three days, he was going to have an opportunity to minister healing. And when he did, set a course of uh, revival for that area. Who would have thought it would have started with a snake? We might get discouraged at some of the things that come across our way. But God can take whatever it is that the devil meant for destruction and turn it around for good. Even a snake who was just trying to sleep the winter away and just did what he thought he could do to preserve his own life. <laughs> and a revival came out simply because people were willing to step out. Are we willing to step out. 28 chapters we have read of people stepping out for Jesus. Good things going on. The book of Acts continues to go on today and we need to be in that number where we are willing to take every opportunity that comes and promote the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to never overlook a single opportunity but everyone that comes. We preach your word. We lay hands on the sick. We do the things that you told us to do to make disciples of all people. We thank you for the help that you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.